Welcome to Biggest Geekus. We're your hosts. I'm Randy. And I'm Joe. This is episode 22 of our podcast. The date is February 3rd, 2021. How you doing, homeboy? I'm great. I'm just wanting to tell the people this is a um, artisanal, handmade, organic podcast. <laughs> oh, dude, who knew we would be that cool? I figure we need some marketing terms to help us out. So those I think are- we should. Let's use them all. That sounds yes. good. Let's put them on There's the page. There's more. Uh, did I say small batch? Small batch no, is one. Cool. You know them better than me. I don't know them. I'll tell you what. You just uh, put them on the put them on the web page, and I think it'll win us lots of uh, listeners. Apparently, those are the <laughs> ones that the millennials really latch on to. You know. Well, we we need those. God knows we need those. Well, <laughs> the level-headed ones, and there there are some. Not very. Oh, not yeah. not many, but some. <laughs> oh, Joseph. What? Oh, man. I, do I offend? Oh, I just drove them all off. Oh, well. Oh, better better so, luck next time. So I've heard a rumor. Hmm? I heard a rumor. That's a song. I heard a rumor that, oh, that's true. Who is it? Bananarama? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, so anyway, uh, the rumor is you and I may be playing Savage Worlds this weekend. Yes, that is an active rumor. Yes, I'm excited. Yeah. So uh, we'll be, but I'm not, again, I'm, I'll be honest with you, I'm not really thrilled about the online yet. I just don't know. We'll see. Had a good experience last time. We'll see how this one goes. I think it's better than Roll20 for me. Uh, I think Roll20, Roll20, <laughs> Roll20, I think I want to, I feel like I need to learn all the doodads and the mapping and stuff. Right. And when the time I played Zoom on Zoom, I'm just kind of, you know, it's theater of the mind. Because I mean, because that's kind of how I want to do it. It's funny. I think I just, I want the simplicity, and I don't. When I'm playing, you know, online, I don't want all the extra worries on top of being a GM. But we'll see how it goes. We're playing this Saturday, and hopefully, it'll be a good experience, like it was the first time. I was listening to a, another podcast. I was cheating on you uh, today, mm. and uh, um, I can't remember whose it was because I listened to a few. I'm just trying to. Uh, get some decent podcasts and it, it is kind of, you know, a challenge. Um, cause sometimes they just talk about things I don't care about, but Absolutely. this fellow was saying that he was doing some online gaming and he was using, I think zoom, maybe something else like it, right? Not one of the virtual tabletops. And he preferred it because, um, sometimes when he's played on the virtual tabletops, they have their uh, counters in there that can move around, um, and people will just charge around on on the uh, map. Oh yeah, they can go exploring. Right, yeah. and he's like, no, 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 I don't like that. So he prefers, yeah. I think he prefers uh, the um, just the chat, the regular um, video chat. And I think it's it's sufficient. Uh, you don't as long as you're you're playing with your pals and um, you trust each other. You do your roles yourself, and you say what you got. I mean, that's what you do anyway. And you yeah. can share screens a lot of times to show maps or, or gaming aids or whatever, and you're fine. Yeah, I'm hoping I get some time to do that because I want to. Sh- I may display some stuff Saturday night. We'll see how it goes because we're going to be playing. I'm going to be uh, projecting my computer onto my tv screen so i can see everybody nice and big right up your nostrils so hopefully it'll go well right uh, you may want to make sure that you dim my image 
because it could be too, it could be too powerful for you. Right. We, we, everyone else may just faint. I wasn't thinking of that. Yeah. Yeah. I'll put the dimmer switch on. All Good right. plan. All right. What about a little gaming news then? So, uh, not a whole lot to go on here. Uh, I only picked three things that I found interesting. So hopefully that'll make Giuseppe a little happier because he says I do too much crap in my news. Legs. I'm a huge grump when it comes to news because <laughs> normally it's just, hey, this person released a new game uh, gaming thing and those right. are always happening maybe i'm just being grouchy i you just it, that's, I, that's I, what you're I, doing. I don't find that particularly that is what you're doing yeah you're being doing grouchy you're being grouchy so i uh had heard on eric tinkar talked about rob Koontz, who's one of the one of the early pioneers of uh dnd uh from what i read once he grew up in the gygax household for a little while when he was like 16, 17, but he's part of, I think, TLB Games and Legends of Role-Playing, and they've uh, made an announcement that they're going to make some old-school adventures, and they had a few things on their website. Uh, there are some, these are former TSR creatives, it says on their Facebook page. They have uh, recaptured their magic with adventures designs by Rob Kuntz, Jim Ward, Mike Carr, Alan Hammock, know all those names, Kevin Hendricks, don't recall, Cartography by Steve Sullivan, and artwork by Jeff D. I've heard of, Errol Otis I've heard of, Darlene, Dave Diesel LaForce, Harvey, Harry Quinn, nope, but Jeff Easley, he was one of the four horsemen, I believe. Um, I'd watch, by, by the way, anybody that hasn't seen, what is it, uh, is it I the Beholder on Netflix? It's um, The Art of Dungeons and Dragons. Dude, it's it's pretty cool. I would watch that. Okay. If you I, seen I it, may have. It. I mean, I can't remember. Or maybe it's on Prime Video. It might be Prime Video. I think that's what it's on. So it's it's free, but it's really cool. I enjoy it. It's about an hour and a half, and uh, you're going to see some really cool stuff and hear the little you know, behind-the-scenes stuff. And that's some pretty – we would consider them big names in the sense that I've heard of them from early in the day. Um, I haven't heard much from them recently in the last 10, 15 years, but – well, there's probably some there's some history with yeah. these guys, and I agree. I, I recognize some of these names. That's what makes this interesting is because yeah. of Rob Koontz. And then um, when I uh, first got wind of this, I did some I just did some reading, and mm-hmm. uh, um, apparently Rob Koontz was uh, uh, an orphan, essentially. And oh, wow. was an orphan, and uh, Gary Gygax took him under his wing once he got kind of connected as a, a young teenager with the gaming um, uh, uh, community, the wargaming crowd. crowd, the gaming community as it was then. And he had a, a pretty early inroad um, to becoming a game designer, and uh, he has some pretty decent credits from the old days. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they've and, all, yeah, and Jim Ward, he did a buttload of stuff. Right. And uh, TLB Games is three little books. Mm. So it's a, you know, a reference to the old days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there, and you know, our, our little exploration of uh, OSR, which we're going to continue some tonight, um, it's, uh, it definitely intrigued me. And if you look at their modules, the covers of them, they look classic. I mean, they're like LR1 and LR2, and they got that nice 
like they got the big purple vault of the drow looking cover even though it's not about drow i don't think maybe it is and then they got kind of the castle amber orange cover or you know this kind of looks like the old school modules right and uh, i'm sure they read like it and i'm sure they're fine i wasn't terribly impressed with the maps no uh, honestly they looked pretty bad i think the website doesn't look that great i mean uh yeah, it's not fabulous. I'm going to be, I'm a little, you know, grumpy and hypercritical perhaps, but, um, so the TLB website and the uh, Legends of Roleplaying website are essentially identical except for a couple of, um, icons and stuff. The logo for the different, uh, brands are, is different, but a lot of the oh, other yeah. stuff is the same. Um, yeah. And that's not, where I saw the maps. And when you look at them, I mean, to be honest with you, there's one, the world of Calibruin is kind of okay. It's better than probably, that one, the world, he's probably better than I could draw. It's a little artsy. But as far as some of the city maps, and they're looking kind of, this one, the Dungeon of the Mad Wizard Crazor, that looks like something I would have drawn. Yeah, I probably, Probably better, but I mean, I wouldn't say tons better. Not enough to pay twenty five bucks for it. Yeah, but I didn't. Probably. Yeah, go ahead. I was to say, like his castle El Raja, I think, has a little bit of a history to it. So I think it's just a matter of liking the old school. You just like the maybe it's the aesthetic they want to keep. You know. Maybe. Maybe, but it's kind of weird. Uh, the old uh, El Raja key maps are all hand drawn. Uh, I don't know who would want to pay. For I would pay for Rob Kuntz's original drawings if I was right. a collector, if he signed right. them and all that, and the original ones. But just to scan, I don't. Why would I pay for that, dude? In that K one free sunken city map package map, it's free, but it's, it's hand drawn as well, isn't it? It's worse. I mean, it's just it looks. I mean, it looks like a third grader drew it. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't get. I don't it. know. The others are better. I mean, most of them are better than what I could probably do, but they're not up to pace. They're not up to speed with what modern cartographers do in adventures. I mean, some I'm looking at some, they're not bad, but old school, cool poster sets. A po well, maybe that's it. There's a poster set where you would get posters of his old maps that he made when he was young. So I guess that's the, that's the selling point. It's not that they're supposed to look like really cool slick maps but they're supposed to remind you of old school which could be a positive thing but it seemed a little pricey for me to do that well even the old school adventures the maps were um weren't hand drawn so no, maybe the, maybe i'm uh see i'm not looking at a lot of that stuff at the moment i remember a lot of the blue and white maps on the inside covers of the module of the module covers dude they right. I mean they weren't fancy but they were better and straighter than i could draw right because know? they were done they were done with uh i don't know how precisely folks right. did it yeah why would anybody buy this sunken city map package when it looks like that, that well i doesn't... think it's free i think the sunken city one. Oh yeah that's free that's free yeah, yeah, I don't get it. I don't. I don't get it either. So, but you know, hey, I mean, the, this the sunken the dungeon of the mad wizard Crazor, uh, that could probably be redone professionally, yeah. like you would normally see in a in a um, a module, and it would look fine. Mm -hmm. It would look good and interesting. But looking at it yeah. now, I'm like, well, I could draw that. 
I have drawn. I used to draw the castles that you never let my character ever live in, but I used to uh, I used to draw castles and and dungeon levels and stuff. Haven't oh, did done you it see the, lately. Did you see the the El Raja Key archive? It's oh like yeah, a, it's all hand drawn. DVD ROM. It's well, all... the DVD ROM, but they have it like on a. I'm talking about the key archive. It looks like they've got like. It says it's um. Robbins was there when D&D was created, served for years as Gygax's own dungeon master, as well as co-DM for the original Greyhawk, Greyhawk campaign. With the archive, you'll have the opportunity of a lifetime to peek behind the veil of history to play and discover what it was like in those early days of D&D through the artifacts of time. And the ar archive is an interactive, searchable, fully indexed virtual museum of role-playing game artifacts from the dawn of D&D. Hmm. Yeah. But it's like ninety. It's like a hundred bucks or eighty bucks. I don't get it. I would. I, I, it's really expensive. Right. Like I said, all that stuff would be nice. Um, if it was the original, that kind of money for it seems reasonable. But mm -hmm. for a scanned digital thing, that kind of money mm -hmm. does not. And I don't know. Gonna ruffle some feathers, maybe from I don't know of the people that maybe. listen to this. Maybe I don't know. I don't know. The I adventures didn't... themselves may be all right. It just seems ugh, the maps. Are you kidding me? Yeah, the maps are. Imagine I was gonna say I think the adventures might be fun, but we'll see. Um, another bit of news. I've noticed. I don't think I caught this at first. You know where? And the next piece of news was the immersion uh, and role playing. It's an. It's actually, I think it's from the, his website, John Peterson, who is pretty well known for the book Playing at the World, which is a pretty, I think, academic approach to the history of role playing. And if you read his articles, he always has bits and pieces of like, you can see the little on the on the website that I linked to, mm -hmm. you know, these little uh, old school typed up pages and from other magazines and different things and it's very fascinating because i think he he approaches it from an academic i am intrigued though um and i read through this and some of the comments to this article um what do you, a couple of things um he said that immersion was uh, occurred to the early occurred to the early adopters of 70s D, D that people were thinking about it and he mentions this guy, is it um, Sandy Eisen, who played D&D &D in 75 at Cambridge. Um, and this leads to a, a good comment. He reported that at a beginning player, he felt like he was really living the part. And that through willing suspension of disbelief, he found himself in the dungeon. He said, and this is the part that I find interesting, he thought whenever um, he ran new D&D &D players, he wouldn't tell them the rules. Because for himself, he thought when he used the rules, it bogged him down in war game mechanics. He wanted to focus on the real-life considerations of the person. And even that's supported further by Players Don't Need to Know the Rules article that got, that uh, Ed Greenwood posted in the 49th issue of Dragon. Um, what do you think of that? Sorry. Players don't need to know the rule. <laughs> the rules. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I knew you would love it. This sounds a bit. It sounds a bit woo to me. Woo woo. Um, yeah. Well, <laughs> okay. Um, uh, woo woo. What do you What do you mean by woo woo? Okay. Um, it's a technical term. Hmm. <laughs> Esoteric. Esoteric. Hmm. 
So, Please, sure, explain, immersion. Explain it. Explain it so that plebes like me could understand it. It's uh, oh no, it's uh, woo means what's going on is someone's trying to engage in esoteric, in esoterica. So it's an esoteric oh, okay. Okay. thought process. Um, I have immersion to me happens in my imagination, in my yep. mind while I'm right. playing. But when someone discusses rules at the table, it doesn't kick me out of whatever I'm imagining. Sometimes it helps. Huh, so, really? So I don't get this um, idea, especially don't get players don't need to know all the rules kind of thing. It's kind of weird. Don't tell them all the rules. Let them just be. I mean, it's kind of like being uh, acting. And yes. nothing like yeah. not that there's anything wrong with acting. But when you're at the table, you are playing a game. You're not. You're not acting. It's not. It's not. Uh, um, it's not theater. Theater time. time. It's not. It's game time. Part of yeah. it is role playing, and the part of it, there is a level of immersion. But if someone says I'm rolling my dice, and then you're like annoyed because they dare mention a rules element <laughs> I, I think i think you're going a little too far well for our taste i would agree now for my taste did you, did you read it well even me did you read the comments any of the comments uh, i have told no. you before i'm above the oh, comments that's right. my bad i'm sorry joe that i even implied oh yeah you oh, oh, waste your okay. time to read a comment well, here's what's fascinating i think you're supported Mike Merles, who I believe is of the actual Mike Merles fame of 5e D&D, was once the head of Dungeons and Dragons at Watsy. He made a comment. He said, in other words, he talks about more stuff. No TRPG rule set can autonomously produce immersion. It requires human application, oversight, and adjustment on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. Immersion, being prized over mechanical fidelity, causes that moderator to, at times, ignore the rules, but only if doing so preserves immersion. And here's fascinating. John Peterson himself, the writer of the article, who doesn't necessarily support this idea of immersion being, you know, full immersion, you should do it, ignore the rules. He says, the trick, I think, is that immersion is itself a moving target where some players may want to inhabit their characters, where other, others want a level of engrossment based more on participating in the system re resolution, the game, right. than the blissful ignorance of the pure role player, which only compounds the problem because then human GMs have to divine what players with very different expectations hope to experience. Right. And I think that's true. You have different people at the table that want to do different things. Things, and I've seen it play out where and I've been part of it where like I want to really get into something and you can look around and see other players and me as a player I'll be like I'm going to really role play this out and other players you can tell they're bored that I'm doing it you know and or the DM I've faced that where the DM doesn't really want to engage with me in that way so it ends up being you know more mechanical and that's okay I don't get upset at it I think some people though are wanting an experience that's different than Sometimes they want just that immersive role playing, and I say play story games. Right. Yeah, um, I'm really. Uh, I feel immersed. At least that's what I call it. When I'm playing, I get really into the scenario and the story. I don't let um, rules talk slow me down. I don't let um, any of that affect what's going on in my mind. 
uh, unless it's an outside interruption and someone comes in the room, we have to stop playing altogether. Uh, none of that really bugs me. So, no, I just Google, I just Googled a quick definition of immersion. It says deep mental involvement. Yeah. That backs up that backs up what you say. Yeah, yeah. And now, having said that, I think someone that does take a group that does do story time, we're all many actors, you know, pull a critical role on us here, where we're all, you know, doing cool acting and you know, and engaging. I don't think that's wrong to do that. No, no, no. Get, they're just getting something out of D and D that you and I don't always or rarely ever even consider. And I think they're immersed in what they like and we're immersed in what we like. I mean, we're into the story. We talk about the story. We don't oh, yeah. say, Oh, that was a great 14 that I rolled. Yeah. Wasn't <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So, because, yeah. um, it's something that's been kind of on my mind about, um, how we all choose to geek out when we're yeah. playing. And it's a little yep. different for everybody. And if yeah. you are into the thespian thing or the immersion thing, that's cool. Yeah. Nothing wrong with it. Well, well, honestly, I think that the definition, I think, I think you are into the immersion thing. I think yeah, I'm but, into the immersion you, thing. But, I think the way we immerse is different, though. Right. So, right. yeah. It's funny. I was listening to Eric Tenkar today. Yeah, and he had a episode. I think it's his most recent on immersion, and he referenced this particular article. Yeah. So. Yeah, I thought it was pretty. It was pretty good, actually. I listened to it. Yeah. So this last one, I almost. You know, you know why I picked this? It's because you wanted to talk about fanzines a little bit in our first. We have too many topics today instead of one big main topic. We have too many topics. And you wanted to talk about fanzines a little bit. So then I saw this Zine Quest 3. And I think Eric over at Tinkar's Tavern again is going to be interviewing several folks that are participating in this project for the oh, next yeah. week. And so I, wrote, I read it. And here's here's what I got from it. I mean, the, the, what they're saying, Zine Quest 3, it's a, it's a Kickstarter thing. Grassroots challenge, not unlike a game jam. That you know, like you know, like a jamboree that tasks indie game designers with completing and crowdfunding a physical project that runs on Kickstarter for two weeks. So is the challenge there that you only get two weeks to get it done, or you only get two weeks to get support on your project? I think it's the two. Uh, I think it's the two weeks to get it done. Oh uh, wow! Through February. Let's see. I, it might be both. You know, people who know that this kind of stuff is going on, they probably have stuff on the back burner and they're waiting for it. And when they announce it, they maybe finish it up and pop something on there and, and then hope to get some support. Yeah, they say it's like it's a way to shake out the creative cobwebs, finish that game they've shoved to the back of their digital drawer. Others connect with peers to produce experimental work and hacks of existing games. Whatever fuels the fires, players benefit from projects collated under the zine quest category and designers capitalized on the pu capitalized on the public market atmosphere yeah so i mean it's kind of interesting i don't know i probably won't do it back it because honestly you know i was thinking today i'm a little tired of multiple systems i know we've, we've been exploring but i don't mind looking at other i'm okay with fantasy but i'm feeling a little done with exploring non-fantasy stuff I mean, by that I mean I'm probably not going to be buying too many more non D and D type games. I don't think. Huh. Just, a, just a feeling. Just a feeling where I'm at. But yeah. So, 
Did you like it? Did you think you would, would you support like something like that where you're not really, I mean, do you really know what you're getting in that? I wonder. That's the thing. Um, I have to see once um, I have to go. It's a Kickstarter. So I have to go to Kickstarter, the Zine Quest page out there. Oh, and, dude, yeah, it, it's, it's right at the top here. It, they have a little banner. No, oh, they list the games, Bucket of Bolts, Hibernation, Right. Beast Airy, Morkberg, Rebel Scum. Oh, they oh they oh, so they tell you what you're getting. Okay. Huh. Okay. Interesting. So it okay. depends. I'll yeah. go there and see if it's anything interesting and see how much. Yeah. So okay. it depends. So you it depends. Know what, oh, I thought it was just like a grab bag and you don't know what you were gonna get. So okay, that's not so bad then. All right. Interesting. Okay, well, that's all I had to say on that. I don't know if you had much you wanted to add. I thought it was just an interesting little thing. Well, what's again, it's kind of interesting. We have, we started the, our podcast because we couldn't find any good podcasts to talk about it. So we just decided to talk about it ourselves, make our own podcast. Right. And then right after that, we found a bunch of good podcasts. <laughs> and then after that, I've found, oh, what's this Zine thing? And then all of a sudden, Zine, it's, it, Zine Quest pops up. You know, well, you know, I, I feel like I'm ruling the universe. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I think you are, you and I are literally thinking things into existence. Yeah, I think so. And I think we need to start with like us becoming, you know, probably wealthy soon. Hmm. Start, start thinking that in. I mean, I don't want to be horribly wealthy because, you know, I would probably just be ridiculous. Well, you know, I don't like to have enough to quit quit my job and just uh you know uh focus on helping people and then also playing D D. that'd be cool <laughs> yeah that would be that would be um yeah so i found a big list of scenes uh oh hey is this do you, do you want to talk about this now or talk about when we get to our topic is this something you want to just expand upon? go ahead expand upon let's do it no time like the present go ahead yeah we're doing it live um we are uh, so, yeah, um, I just found this big list of zines. I haven't looked at any of them yet, and I've seen a few adventures and things reviewed on YouTube. So it seems like a pretty cool um, part of the gaming or part of our hobby that I had no right. idea existed. You just thought, so did you really think it was just basically Dungeon Magazine, Dragon Magazine, White Dwarf, those kind of house magazines? Well, I didn't know. And then I looked at them and said, oh, oh. oh, this is different. A lot of them are very, they're, they're, they're short, they're digest size, and cover a, like a single topic. Uh, and I don't even, some of them are just bare bones adventures. Who knows? Are most just PDFs? Are just available via PDF? I don't know. I would imagine most are because it's probably expensive to print too much. No, but I saw this one fella, he, he did a... Um, He's, he uh, started his video out by showing how many he had physically. They're oh, all physical. Okay. And he had like 30 of them. Nice. And I don't think they're all the ones that are out there. And some oh, of them no. are one-shot deals, and other other of them have uh, are issues, have issues, so um, oh. multiple issues. Yeah, yeah you, you mean, he means like subscription services, not like 
there's an issue with this magazine. <laughs> well, there might be, but no, that's not what I'm talking about. So yeah, no, so some of them, some of them are one shot, you know, one thing, and others mm-hmm. are like a magazine and and have multiple issues of it. So, cool thing is, All right. like anything else, it's difficult to know what to do with this. Now that I have this in front of me, do I jump into the zine scene? You mean start getting them yourself? Yeah. Yeah, I think, Joe, I think you should. In your voice, my vast knowledge of Joseph, which is pretty incredible. I've known this dude since we were in seventh grade. Thirteen. Sounds like you're interested in this. Mm-hmm. Get, you, get you a couple that sound good and see what happens. I tell you what, you know me, I was crazy about Dungeon and Dragon magazine. Right. I got Gygax magazine. I got Cobalt Quarterly. I mean, I I was into it, especially during third edition. I was collecting magazines, and I got several. Now, they were a little bit higher profile, but even Cobalt Quarterly and Gygax magazine, or Gygax magazine in particular, was much smaller in scale. There was issues with that, too. We'll have to ask Tinkar sometime. Should we ever talk to him again? I think he knows the whole story. Uh, I think Gail Gygax put the kibosh on that when Luke started that magazine not too long ago. Um, I love them. And I'm sure I would like fanzines, too. I have a couple of, you know, PDFs. I got some Dragon magazines and PDF. I got some other ones from different. What was the one Wayfinder? Path, Pathfinder had a Wayfinder magazine for a while. Oh, right. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a fanzine. So, yeah, check them well, out. Well, if Pathfinder puts it out, it's not technically a fanzine. No, no. It was. I'm almost no. It was third party. Oh, third party. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure. It's, I'm pretty sure it's third party. Yeah. Well, uh, we have a couple of call-ins, right? Yes, we do. John Allen Large and Jason Hobbs called in. We finally got a chance to play them and talk about them a little bit. Some very good comments. So, uh, which one are we going to play first, Mister Joe? I believe we are going to play uh, uh, Red Dice Diaries. John Allen Large. Uh, he has a stack of messages. I stuck them all together with glue and, and tape. Sweet. So hopefully yeah. hopefully yeah. Um, they sound okay stuck together like that. So I'm going to go ahead and start them, and then we'll talk about them afterwards. Hit it, brother. Here we go. The 20 way you're talking about. Hey guys, this is John from Red Dice Diaries. Thank you very much for the shout-out and the call-ins recently. I've just been listening to your episode 20 where you're talking about the OSR side of gaming. And just sort of drop you a few of my thoughts. I'm a bit rambly, so it's probably going to be a good few calls. Feel free to use or discard them as you see fit. But before I really get started with that, I just wanted to say... I think Sir Grognard would be an excellent title for a podcast. And I've got to admit, I'm pretty much in agreement with Joe's thoughts on big names and role-playing. Even the biggest names are still the biggest names in a fairly niche hobby. And yeah, I've got to say, I pretty much agree on the idea of acting in inverted commas in RPGs. A lot of the shows online are shows designed to entertain. They've got about as much resemblance to most people playing an RPG as people doing competitive esports as to someone just playing a game on their console for fun. As you guys rightly say, I'm all about that old school essentials life at the moment. And my Smoke and Snow campaign is run using that. But I've run and own a lot of other OSR sort of clones. But I think the fact is, and something that I've sort of learned as I've been sort of part of like the OSR scene again in inverted commas, is that no one 
certainly not the people involved in it can agree what the OSR actually is. All I can say is that for me, an OSR game is one that's either based directly on the older games from the founding of the hobby, sort of clone, or one that attempts to recapture the spirit of those old games, either by cloning the rules and then adapting them slightly, or by using newer rules, but trying to capture the same sort of feeling of those games. I don't think it necessarily has to be D&D, although, to be honest, most of the clones that I own are based on D&D. And I think clones were a bigger thing before you could get print-on-demand copies of the older games. And then when, I think it was Wizards of the Coast, put out the system reference documents around about the time of 3rd edition, 3.5, people realised that you could legally use it to make versions of the games they loved, but obviously at the time they couldn't get hold of, so that's where we get all the retro clones from. And obviously now you can go and drive through and stuff like that, and you can get print-on-demand versions of like the Rural Cyclopedia and stuff like that. But by that point, a lot of the clones and the various other sort of OSR adjacent games had established themselves, got a bit of a following, and people wanted to stick with what they know. As for the rulings, not rules mantra, which I agree is quite by a lot of people, including myself, for me, I use OSE or simpler clones because I like having a simple set of rules that I don't have to reference all that often. In fact, my gold standard is a set of rules that have enough depth to support the play, but not so much I have to be constantly looking things up in the rulebook. This is one of the reasons I like Old School Essentials by Necrotic Gnome. And as Randy mentioned in your episode, they're promoting their advanced fantasy stuff at the moment. And this takes elements from AD&D, but sort of scales back and simplifies the rules to like the BX sort of OD&D level. Now, I've got a collection of the Orange Spine books for AD&D First Edition that I take a lot of inspiration from and I enjoy reading, but I probably wouldn't run it as is because it's got more rules and complexity than I feel necessary for me to run an enjoyable game. Obviously, there is a bit of a nostalgia factor there as well, as Randy says. I also agree with Joe that I enjoy old school games because they seldom have politics or any sort of agenda. I mean, when I sit down to play or run an RPG, I don't want to push my politics and my opinions on people. I just want to play a game and have everyone enjoy themselves at the end of the day. I mean, let's face it, that's what we're there for. OSR games do tend to reward careful planning and thinking on behalf of the players. And I think this is partly due to the lack of a skills system, the simplicity of the rules, and the chances of death, meaning that you have to consider your character's position carefully, take advantages of cover and whatever small bonuses you can get in combat, and you have to describe or think your way around obstacles. One of my favourite OSR games, aside from Old School Essentials, is Castles and Crusades. And this is based on a version of the D20 system. You know, you roll a D20... You add your skill rank, and in this version, which is called the Siege Engine, you add your level if it's something related to your class, and you try and beat a difficulty number. Now, you only get to add that level if it's something related to your class, like a thief picking a pocket or whatever. So at first level, you tend to all be roughly similar in the sort of that sort of area, but as time goes on, you start to see certain classes become better at certain thematic things. One thing I've also noticed in various versions of D&D is that a lot of the classes get a sort of smattering of magic and spells after a certain level, which basically just makes them shit wizards. Now, in Casters and Crusades, spellcasting is restricted to wizards, clerics, and druids, I believe, in the core book. The other classes get abilities, but they're not spells. I suppose it's a semantic difference, but I like the fact they get abilities and not just spells. 
I think the reason OSR games tend towards a low level, as you guys were saying, is partly because of the mortality rate and the pace of advancement in OSR games. Now, obviously, you can tweak this if you want the speed advancement. For me, though, I like to run through low levels, but getting through them can take a while with standard character advancement. However, how many campaigns actually run long enough to get characters to those high levels? I personally would love to run an OSR campaign at high level. However, if I was going to do so, I'd want to start it at low level, and I've yet to run a campaign for like various reasons that has lasted that long. I also think that in older D&D, the game focus in the sort of core rules shifts a little when you reach higher level, more towards like domain management stuff, you know, like fighters getting fortresses, mages building towers, etc. And I think some people perhaps don't fancy this shift, and so they sort of stick to lower level sort of dungeon crawling stuff. Whereas personally, that sort of thing wouldn't really bother me. And besides, you don't 100% have to go for that if it doesn't suit your game. Now... I've got to very much agree that I'm not the world's most massive fan of the, the Vancia magic system. I tend to use it in games just because it's convenient and it's the sort of default. However, if you guys have a look on dnd-wiki.org, there is a mana-based spellcasting system on there that might, and that's a sort of spell pointy system that's designed to work with D&D 3.5, but I'm sure it'd be adaptable to other editions fairly easily. So that's about all I've got to say, guys. I don't know if you can distill any wisdom from that or not, but it's the best I can do at the moment. I'm really enjoying the episodes, so keep it up. Great stuff. I look forward to hearing more from you. Take care. Stay safe. I'll catch you soon. All right. You've had some great stuff there from Mr. Yeah, Mr. Large. Well, one problem. I have one big problem. He's agreeing with you way too much. I think he needs to agree with me. Well, say, <laughs> well, what you need to do is make better choices. And then so he'll... John does? John no, needs to or I need to? You need to. Then he'll probably agree with you. <laughs> I thought it was... Uh, yeah, I thought it was pretty good. I thought I liked how he said OSR sort of captures this. They t two types of OSR games: either capturing the spirit of OSR with newer rules, or kind of like DCC, right? DCC captures the spirit of OSR, but it's definitely got newer type rules. And then, or just old school, you know, old rules clones like you know Labyrinth Lord or Swords and Wizardry. Um, <laughs> speaking of old school too. Well, I'll talk about that later on, but um, I thought I thought that was a pretty interesting statement that he said. I thought that was pretty accurate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he, I really appreciate it. And uh, I don't know during our during our little live stream with Air Class Week, um, uh, to kind of link this with John's comment about the SRD kind of started the whole ball rolling. I don't know if you remember that guy Shadzar, who was a comment to one of the listeners during that uh, live stream with Eric Tinkar and Glenn Halstrom. Yeah, he kept he kept saying. You always could do it, you know, and, and Eric kind of explained how it worked, but I, I didn't quite get it. To me, it seemed like, you know, if you could always kind of do it, then why did someone feel like the OS, the OGL was that big of a deal? But I think there's more to it than, than meets the eye. So, say again, um, always could do what? I missed that. Oh, oh, my bad. So it's like um, one of the commenters said that we never, one of the commenters in the live stream last week, sorry, I'm rambling here, guys. Uh, he had said his name was Shadzar. He's one of the people that were commenting while we were talking. 
he said you could always could have always created old school clones. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, um, because mechanics were not copyrightable, uh, copyrightable, or trademarkable, but, but, whichever one. But Eric kind of countered it or qualified it with something else. Was saying he, he said no, the OGL was still needed because of something. Do you recall that one? Yes, yes. What it is is the threat. So mm. they could always have some lawyer draw up a piece of paper and send it to them and say, you better cease and desist or else. And just the fear um, of having to go to court will just shut everybody down. So and the OGL one, took that fair away. Yeah. So uh, once that was a, a release, people knew what they could do without fear of the lawyers. So, yeah, oh. someone could just do it. And <clears throat> I think there were at least one. There was at least one that did overseas over in, in, in the UK. Mm-hmm. And I can't, I can't I don't know the, uh, any details. I just heard mm-hmm. someone mention it offhand um, at the time before there was an OGL back in the 70s. Uh, yeah. Somebody did uh, something in the UK. And, you know, because it was over in the UK and we didn't have the Internet or anything like that, right. they could right. get away with it. And then uh, at some point, uh, um, TSR just had to, you know, deal with it. Not legally, <laughs> but they just had to, right. you know, suck it up. Suck it up and say, oh, well, you missed out. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Seems like seems like John, John definitely agrees with us with keeping politics out of the game and yes. keeping the game about the game. I like that. He's a big fan of Castles and Crusades, dude. That's got me thinking I might go ahead and buy the book because, honestly, it has a lot of good vibes with, like, it feels like a pretty decent marriage of third edition and old school, though I've heard – what did I hear? Did I say that Magic's either overpowered – I think he said it was Magic tends to be overpowered in that game. Is that what he said? I don't remember him saying that. Maybe I heard it elsewhere. Now, something I would tell John, though, is you know he mentioned how he wouldn't mind playing higher levels in OSR games that most can't campaigns end too early. Start high level. Start at 7th or 8th. Start at 10th or 12th level. Yeah, he doesn't want to do level. that. He doesn't want – and I, oh. I, he said he wants to start at low level. And I, yeah. and I understand why, and that's yep. because – it's uh, whenever you start a character, at, uh, especially, I mean, if it's third or fourth, that's one thing. But if you start at 11th, 12th, 10th, 11th, 12th, even if you know the game system very well, you're not familiar with your character. The same way you would be if you played that character all the way up, you would it would feel like your shoes. You just know what they can do. They know what they're capable of, but but you take those 12th level characters into a dungeon, they might just jump into something they're not ready to handle. True, because you just don't really know them that well. Yeah. And you know, the, the truth is, I think in our, but he, it's a good point. I think with our busy lives, uh, well, no, I just don't think we carved the time out. I think if people yeah. really wanted to do it, they would. But maybe if you place, if it takes you a long time to get to seventh level, like six months or a year. Maybe you're tired you want, and, and the, the new shiny comes along or like me, you got 50, 11 games on your shelves you want to try. So you kind of lose interest. And that's. Yeah, I, I don't. I can always pick up an old character and get into it. Yeah. I might have to play it a little bit to, to remember things or whatever. But as far as being motivated to play, I yeah. will. there's not too many. It depends on how the character itself, but. Uh, right. I don't have a problem with the concept of right. <clears throat> sticking with a character for however long. It doesn't bother me. But right. 
it does. I don't know where the um, where the desire to jump from character to character, and I don't know where all of this came from. Um, I've well, all, it's not it's not just character to character, Joe. I mean, like you know, for me, and again, it's it seemed like a bug I've gotten since I've gotten a little more, you know, settled in my career, and I got a little money and more disposable income. You know, I've got. 5e on the shelf. I've got third edition, three five. I've got thirteenth age. I've got Feng Shui. I've got old Pathfinder. I've got a buttload of Savage World stuff and Hackmaster and Aliens. All kinds of crap that I want to play. And dude, I'm fifty three. How much time I got left? Right, right. I get that. <laughs> that's, well, that's kind of why this week I was thinking I need to slow down. I may even end up selling some of my stuff because. The truth is, maybe if I slim it down, I won't keep looking at it and want to go to the next new shiny thing. Maybe, maybe. Um, right. Yeah. There, so I, I there's there's the, also the thing where uh, the mo modern life, and I don't think that modern life makes us. I think we've allowed modern life to shape our behaviors. Right. So, Agreed. yeah, we're just... I think we make ourselves overly busy. Yes. Cut out the <laughs> cut out the chafe and just do the important stuff yeah. like gaming. Yeah. Hey, did you get a chance to? Um, I think you should take a look at his uh, that D and D wiki page you talked about. Spell I did. I did. Oh, did you? Oh, okay. Yes. Yes. What'd you think? I didn't get to. Um. I liked it. I think it might need a little tweaking, but it's it's okay. okay. Um. It's been probably so – he sent us these messages uh, last week, I believe. Right, we didn't get to – yeah. And I looked at that um, like the next day, and I haven't looked at oh, it – and I haven't okay. looked at it since, so it's kind of fuzzy. But okay. I remember uh, that it had some variants as well. So it had um, spell points, but it also had a kind of a fatigue me mechanic as an alternate. Ah. So instead of counting uh, down, you count up. So oh, okay. once you have spent X amount of um, points, you can only you can only spend so many uh, points on spells uh, until fatigue sets in. Right, and if you and once fatigue sets in, if you cast another spell, you could get exhausted. And um, there's like a a mechanic for getting uh, rid of the fatigue and the exhaustion and all that stuff. But uh, it's interesting. Um, I, it's probably a little more fiddly than um, than a lot of OSR folks like. It probably. might be. Might be. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, I think it's interesting. Hmm. I agree. I've always liked the idea of a fatigue mechanic. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, my uh, hang-up on... Uh, Vancian is, and you could probably reskin how it's supposed to be, but it, it, at the very outset of, uh, at least, I don't know if how well it was described in the white books or, or all of that. I can't remember. Oh, But in AD&D, it, yeah. it was memorization, and it specifically yes. said you forgot the spell after you cast it, <laughs> which always was like, nah, that's dumb. Yeah, it sits in your crawl, that kind of statements. Even I, who was like, you know, I love to screw magic users that play in my games. You know that. Yeah. But even I was like, how the heck do they forget a spell they just cast? That's kind of dumb. Yeah. It's and one so, thing to but, say that you're 
there's some kind of exhaustion or mental fatigue or something like that, brain fog, and you just can't mm-hmm. summon the the um, will to do that again. That's one thing, and it might be uh, semantics, but it's still kind of weird. Yeah. Just got weird. Yeah. But thanks, John. We appreciate those comments. Yes, and we definitely appreciate the uh, the um, uh, the good the good vibes, uh, the good things you said about uh, our us in our podcast. Really appreciate yeah, we it. Def- yeah, we love the red dice. Yes. All right. Good stuff. So we we got some from Jason Hobbs from Hobbs and Friends of the OSR. So he yes, got, he got a little bit to say too. Yeah, let me pull that one up. Yeah. Fire him up. I don't think he was quite as wordy, but he still had several things to say. Oh, well, John uh, had a lot to say. You know? yes. he, had to get it off his chest. he had to get it off his chest. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> All right. And here we go with Jason. Hey, Jason here. Listen to your Railroad episode, your latest episode, and episode, what, 38 maybe? And um, you're talking about Rule Zero. If you go over to my buddy's podcast, Shadow of the GM, it's um, Barry's podcast, but it's an anchor podcast. Should be able to find it. Like say, Shadow of the GM, episode eight of his from February last year, from zero to I, I don't remember what he called it, from OD and D Rule Zero to Hero, he talks about the history of Rule Zero throughout the D and D products, starting with the you know original edition. So. If you're interested in the history of Rule Zero, I'd, I'd re- as far as D and D goes, I'd recommend you go listen to that. You guys are about to talk about railroad. I pause the podcast to call this in. You're about to talk about railroads, so I'll listen to that and then I'll call you back and tell you why that article's wrong. Talk to you soon. Hey guys, Jason again. You did a great job with uh, railroads versus sandboxes, and I don't really have anything to add. I think you you did a great job responding to the points of the article and. and you pretty much nailed it. To, to me, a linear venture is not a bad thing, especially if the players know ahead of time, hey, this is what we're going to play. They're on board with it. it. It's not a bad thing at all. To me, a railroad, just as you guys said during the show, a railroad is where you literally don't let the players make choices. Hey, I want to you know, turn left down the street. No, you can't go left down that street. Well, I'm going to turn left down that street. Okay, well, you're, you're walking down the right-hand you know, you, you turned right, you're going down the, you know, to that direction. Th- that's railroad. But you're not doing that. You know, the whole, oh, there's a dome over the city, you can't leave the city, right? That kind of thing. So, great job on that, and I've got another comment for you. You talked about worrying a little bit about improvising games, doing games that are totally improvisational, or running, you know, doing a, a well, you're worried about one-shot sandboxes, and what do you do with what the players do? those kind of things. It's not exactly the same, but my buddy Colin Green over at the Spike Pit RPG podcast, another anchor cast, he ran a game for us back in August where he came up with a scenario. We, we developed everything as we played. We rolled as we went, and he just improvised the whole thing And as we went. And that's episode 295 of the Spike Pit RPG podcast on August 10th of 2020. And he talks about it some, and then for more details on the adventure, you could go to my podcast, episode 99, which is, I, think, I think was August 11th, and there's a section in there, Sorcerers and Swords, that, you know, I talk about the game itself. There's a whole lot of other junk on my podcast that day. But anyhow, I, I just wanted to let you guys know that, that that's very doable. We've done it. But, yeah, 
Very interesting. I have I haven't finished the podcast yet, so I haven't heard John's calls. I don't know if you do you're going to do call-in shows, or I don't know what you do with that. But um, you know, OSR to me is effectively the same thing like Eric Tenkar believes. It's just anything T, any Dungeons Dragons product that TSR put out or is compatible or is supposed to emulate those products is OSR. Anything else is old school gaming. So. Yeah, and and mind you, I'm the I'm one of those people that I've played Adventures in Middle Earth once, and that's the only non-TSR version of D&D I've ever played. I mean, I've played Pathfinder and other things, but it, I've never played Third Edition or Fourth Edition or Fifth Edition D&D. Well, I played one game of Fifth Edition, but anyway, great show. Look forward to your next one. All right, thank you, Jason. Yeah, I tell you what, that was really good. Uh, Jason, I've listened to Hobbs and Friends of the OSR before. Um, first, just let me say, Jason is super smart because he agreed with us. He said the railroad linear sandbox stuff was pretty much perfect. I think that was a statement. Yes. He's never heard anything better in his entire life or that we did okay. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, thanks, Jason. It really was cool. Now, hey, I was super good, dude. Now, it was a little late. Today, when I was working out this morning, got up at 7.30, got to the gym, did my thing. I listened to that Shadow of the GM, Episode 8, about history of the Rule Zero for D&D. I like that dude. It's another good, I think he's a Brit, or at least he's, yeah, a Brit, probably. You know, that, that includes all, you know, all the people on the island. Uh, I believe he's from there. And that was a good, a good episode. I may start listening to that guy anyway. And I also listened to Colin Green's Spike Pit, which I listen to from time and again. I like Colin's takes a lot. But on the history of Rule Zero, which I thought was really interesting, uh, is it okay that I start here? Or did you have a comment about? No, go ahead. Things? Go ahead. Yeah. So uh, he had, he, you know, this guy went through the Rule Zero through D and D. I think he he nailed it pretty much. Did a really nice job. But being the anal person that I am, something stuck in my craw. Because remember, you and I claimed that in third edition was where it was spelled out and he goes he said it wasn't but he referred to 3.5 well guess what i did you looked at your 3.0 book i did because i'm that kind of nerd boy and it wasn't in the dm's guide there was you know monty cook made a lot of comments about do your own thing be careful he's no, right it's he, in the his player's, claim handbook. Di- player's handbook and it literally says under character creation basics zero Check with your dungeon master. Your DM may have house rules or campaign standards that vary from the standard rules. You might also want to know what character types the other players are playing so you can create a character that fits in well with the group. Now, granted, they didn't actually say rule zero, but it is a zeroth rule, right? It's labeled as zero. So I I think that it was there. But his comment was interesting because I think if you listen to it, I I don't want to totally spoil it, but I'll just say this. Early editions were very, I mean, like, you know, OD&D, basic first edition do what you want to they're up for you know well before first edition you know kind of you change these are just guidelines okay mold they all that then you get to first edition gary seems to be a little more be careful if you do this it might screw things up and second edition or after the rules cyclopedia i think ministers kind of say be careful these are carefully play tested sort of rules <laughs> which i laugh because i'm not sure if that's true they might have been they might have been I don't want to too much. And then second edition, they go back to, oh, it's more about, you know, just your, um, you know, what, whatever your interpretation is, the DM is fine. It's completely fine. And then third edition seems to be like, be careful, because these rules were intricate, intricately connected. And that goes back to what I said, how I was nervous about 
tweaking with third edition. And I think because in the DMG, they kept saying, be careful, you may not see the ramifications, which I do think they're right. I mean, especially early on, if you change something significant like I did, I was like, I'm not going to use the five foot step at all. That's dumb. That right. definitely makes a massive, massive change. And, um, and then fourth edition goes back to kind of do your own thing. Fifth edition is more old school kind of DMs can do their own thing sort of stuff. I think mostly D&D was cool with rule of zero, the rule of zero, but uh, third edition did seem a little third and first edition seemed a little more be careful. And uh, he, he goes into that. And I think it's, he does a pretty good job of that. Right. Um, I didn't listen to any of those because I've totally spaced on all of that. I remember, yeah. basically, I just remember the glowing praise, so which, yeah, that, is, which is good enough. Right, because it, it kind of filled our head full of, you know, like we need any more hot air up there. But Shadow, <laughs> Shadow of the GM is a good a good podcast, I think. And, you know, Colin Green, you've listened to Spike Pit. Okay, uh, yes, Jason, you, you directed us to episode 295, which I listened to. Uh, but I'll be honest, it was after the workout. I was a little sidetracked, and I think I missed a chunk of it, so it might have been in there where he talks about a game he played sorcerers and sell swords or something. I didn't glean much from it. I think it was meant to tell me something about a one shot sandbox. Um, so I maybe he did it so smooth. It could have been. And just, I, I was probably, my head was so big. I was just basking in the glow of the, of the, of the compliments that Jason gave us. So I could have been, uh, you know, beside myself, that could have been it. But uh, for some reason, I didn't listen as closely. So I'm going to give that a whirl again because I do like Colin, and he doesn't tend to do very long ones. So when he, he he expounds upon things, he's usually got something to say. I would encourage you to listen to both of them. They're good little podcasts. Oh, I I have uh, I have listened to Spike Pit a bit. Uh, I haven't listened to Shadow of the GM. I don't think the quality though. Yeah, quality. it's interesting. I I ran across another podcast it has this gms icon in it hmm. so I, okay. I just i wonder what that's all about i think gms yeah gms shadow i don't know there's probably some history to that the other one was a slightly different named podcast not shadow of the gm underneath it but the gms was there and, are you sure it's gms and not gns yeah yeah there's another okay, podcast okay. that has a gms in it and then some other some other okay. branding along with it. So, okay, yeah, that was really good to hear from uh, Jason Hobbs. That was cool. Yeah, that was great. Thank you, Jason, for the messages. Absolutely. So, uh, we're going to try a little something different today. We're going to do some mini topics. That doesn't mean it's going to be short tonight because we're already running, running pretty long, but we don't really care. Um, the first mini topic is a return to the OSR because last week we had uh, we got invited to. Dungeons, Dragons, and Discord's live stream on Eric Tinkar's Tavern Chat and talk with him and uh, Eric Tinkar and Glenn Halstrom had a fantastic time. Those guys were a hoot. Yes, they were. I, I totally enjoyed that. Um, we got to recap and rehash some things about uh, the podcast. So now that we've done that live stream, have you got any thoughts of yourself that uh, you know has made you think about or rethink or even dig in more. Yeah, I think I got this or about the OSR, the questions we had and how Eric and Glenn responded. Yeah, well, um, well, the whole zine thing, that's part of the OSR. <laughs> um, yeah, we didn't get into that at all. Um, that happened. Uh, this whole uh, zine quest thing happened uh, 
beginning of the week, I think, or end of, you know, something like over the weekend. Yeah. We didn't know about it. And we didn't know about it. Anyway, there's that. <clears throat> Some, I think my pre, my major thoughts are um, that with the OSR, there's a distinct feeling of a DIY in it. It does seem like it, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> not that it's a bad thing. That's a great thing. Mm -hmm. uh, the DIYs aspect and that it's a community of DIYers that like to share instead of keep it back. And we talked about that a little bit in, yeah. in the, um, in the live stream. Um, and, uh, I think if, um, barring the Vancean issue and the <laughs> low level play issue, I would right. dive in. Uh, would you? I sure You're would. You're ready. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we'll that. I'm still not satisfied with the rulings, not rules part. Okay. Because um, it's a little nebulous. And but you know, dude. You make, you, when you make a ruling, you make a rule. Well, have you looked at Osric? There's Briefly. plenty of rules. Yes. Plenty of rules, yes. brother, if you want to jump in. And... So I think that's easily solvable. We just find a system where, you know, a game we like and we play it. I do. I would totally try it. Um, also, like I'm kind of fan of Castles and Crusades, though that sits in a strange place, I think, to a lot of people because they kind of tried to base things off third edition with a good dose of old school. Um, I say, so we can just pick one that looks juicy enough we can sink our teeth into. And, I mean, I... Glenn brought up one that does, and that's that um, mm. uh, amazing Ash. swordsman and sorcerers, sorcerers of, Hyperborea. of Hyperborea. Yeah, but yeah. if it's truly Hyperborea, then the magic in it—I don't know if you would necessarily call it low magic, but it's certainly dangerous. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you, I think that's something we should probably look into because I think for you especially, it's only humans, man. You talked about how you'd love to yep. play a campaign world where it's only humans. It would definitely be about, you know, big damn heroes, uh, Conan style, and with a little bit of Lovecraft in there. Uh, I would definitely, I'd get into GM in that. I know I would. I know I'd love it. Uh, if we get, if the magic is in there, I think it could do. You know, if wizards are still pretty viable, that would be cool. Um, Unfortunately, it's hard to find the book. Uh, I think he's getting. I think he's getting ready to do another printing of it, which we probably should jump on that when he does. Um, right. Get us a copy. You can get the PDF. Um, yeah, I tell you, I'm I'm intrigued. We talked about Men and Magic. You know, my reading of the first uh, of the three little booklets from the old white box. You know, I got the PDF. I've also read the second one and about monsters and treasure. That's frustrating, dude. Because they have monsters, they don't. T I'm not sure what kind of damage they do. And dragons, <laughs> I, I had to read three or four times. Apparently, so the dragons hit dice. Like a white dragon is the same as one e, five to seven hit dice, and its breath weapon does one pip of damage per hit die if it's young, six pips of damage per hit die if it's old. So at first it was kind of, and that doesn't sound complicated, but I had to read it a couple of times to make sure I got it. And they reference a lot chainmail. Well, just follow what chainmail does. And so as a rule set, if that's all you had, I'm pretty sure there would have never been a more complicated, not complicated, but there never would have been a game. If, if I had picked up the white box when we were 12 or 13, 
without help, I would have had no idea what to do. Right, because it does say, I believe, in, in it uh, that you need to have chain mail. Well, I don't know if you need it. I tell you what I'm going to do. I think I think I'm going to buy Matt Finch's Sword and Sorcery. I mean, no. Is that what it's called? Swords and Wizardry. Because that's OD&D retro-cloned. Ah. And the rules are cleaned up and explained better from what I've heard. So I'm going to look at it. I know that's what – I know Eric made Swords and Wizardry light. Yes. And so and we, he said we could get that free, right? From uh, Was it free? <laughs> yeah, we need to take advantage of that. We do because I want to look at that. And then I also want to get – because that's only a few pages. It's one to three level. He has continual light, too, which goes to like seventh level. And I want to get the full Swords and Wizardry because I, I think I have the PDF for free. We got the PDF for free. I need to look at it because I think I'm going to need it to run the game. I mean, it's not impossible. I mean, I, I could do it, but I'll be making a lot of crap up that I that I think's true. Like they explain, they say that an elf can adventure as a fighter or a magic user. And every time he goes on in every session, he can decide which one he's doing. Say that again. <laughs> an elf can adventure as a fighter or a magic user. Okay. And every adventure or session, I'm not sure which one, I think every adventure he goes on, he can decide which ones he's doing. So it's like the elf, I'm being a fighting man this adventure. I'm being a wizard this adventure. That's uh, weird. <laughs> it's weird. So does that mean he has two different experience point tables that he follows? Probably. So I could I could I could morph that. And I I told you I was thinking of playing I am running an OD&D game. It may end up being Swords and Wizardry. And I was originally going to do low level, but you know what? I think I'm going to make them mid-level, if not higher level, huh. just for fun. Cuz they're just not that it's not that complicated. No. And I know you I know you'd like to play higher level and honestly I would too. I mean, I don't I I love the idea of people dying horribly in like two seconds because it'd be fun but i think i would rather do that in a dcc funnel than i would in just an old school game and i want to get the feel and like for example the warhammer plus three only dwarves can wield it to get it to come back to them ah. so if someone else and in, in someone else's hands it's only a plus one weapon i believe right so in a dwarven so now there were separate weapons for that it was a dwarven throwing hammer back in third and then a dwarven war hammer back in first that would throw and come back but it's just the war it's just called the warhammer plus three so you can see the beginnings of what D D would become it's very clear you know right i think that that's um an interesting thing that was in the early game that's been kind of pushed aside and that's exclusives only dwarves yes. can do this. Only elves can do this. Only oh, yeah. wizards can do this. Only fighters can do this. Um, and Glenn, on his uh, podcast, uh, Radio Grognard, uh, mm -hmm. a recent episode I listened to today, was talking about that, too. Uh, more recent versions of D&D, &D, they don't have that many of those things. And uh, you kind of you lose... Uh, some flavor out of Elf. If everybody can do the same things, and all you have different on your sheet is the 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 word Elf, and I have yep. the word human, and yet we have the same character essentially. Um, yes, it kind of it kind of stinks. And you know, I think that even yeah, you definitely lose charm, and I think that even causes a bit of an issue with um, a little bit of an issue with, to me, 
in third edition, which I thought was cool, you can be any race, any class. Because, you know, it used to be a dwarf couldn't be a wizard. Right. Right. And so I used to wonder, who made dwarven magic items? Now, here's what's funny. In OD&D, it seems pretty clear magic items are created by the gods. No one really makes them. You know what I'm saying? It seems like it. They're all super built and, you know, mysterious. It seems like it. I could be wrong. And uh, maybe not the gods. I could be off. I think I'm mixing things. Well, I mean, is, if you if you take um, – uh, what's the name of that movie? That old movie oh, – Clash of the Titans? Clash of the Titans. That's how those magic items were made. The gods put yeah. them there for him to find. Yeah, you know – and, and I think I could be a little off there, but I'm losing my point, too. So back to what I was leading to was I love, you know, oh, you could be a half-orc druid. You could be a dwarven sorcerer. I remember that was one of the big, that was a big splash thing they were trying to sell on us at Gen Con. The year before 3E was released, they were saying, wait and see, strength over 20, you betcha. All this stuff just sounded really cool. But now that I've done it and it's been cool, I kind of miss the time where, like, Okay, you can't be a wizard because, well, you're a dwarf. Right. Dwarves are they're magic resistance, and they don't have the mind for it. It adds a real, you know, a real flavor to the class of dwarf. When you play a dwarf, and you could say, well, that forces you into a hole. Yeah, it does. But so what? If you want to play a dwarf, they're a type of they're a type of race um, that have a thing that they do, and their magic. I always thought, especially in first edition, I always thought dwarven magic items came by the clerics. That the clerics were able to do it. Right, which is what I was getting ready to mention is the the one thing, the the caveat to the exclusivity is the cleric. You can't. I can't imagine these guys, elves and the dwarves and halflings and what not being able to be a cleric. However, yes. in Tale of the Manticore, how he did that was that the clerics of the dwarves were cloistered. They didn't go out adventuring. They had duties that had they had to attend to, and they couldn't go anywhere. They had to stay oh, in there their, you go. their monasteries yeah. or their temples or whatever. So that's one way you can explain it. You, yeah, can, you, can, be a dwarf, you can be a dwarven cleric, but you're not doing anything. Dwarves have not, priests, but they don't have adventuring clerics. It's a different thing. Makes, that makes to. sense. That's something you could do. Without, well, I think Glenn... Yeah, no doubt, you, easily. And yeah. then you could say they, they exist, but they're not adventuring. They're not player character options. Right. And, you, can, and you know, people get, they'll get their, their feathers ruffled over that. But I don't think old school players get too caught up on that, ones that play those type of games necessarily. Um, but I think Glenn and Eric uh, were excited enough about the game where I have to admit I'm, I'm even more intrigued in playing the older games or clones or combinations that we can just get in there I'm pretty sure we're going to take an old school game and crank it to where we want it. That's what I think is going to happen. Yeah. That's what I was thinking about today is we should find an old school game and leave it as is up to its eighth or tenth or whatever level that it goes to. And then if we want to take take things past that, we do our own thing. Yeah. That's that's the OSR – that's one of the OSR ways. That's your, a mantra. Do yeah. your own thing. Do your own thing. And there's yeah. that's and that's cool. We could even uh, at some point once we've perfected it, we'll um, we will make you know a thing where we can put it on whatever uh, drive through RPG. Everybody will like it because it will be ours. 
Because yeah, right. Obviously, yeah. we won't get rich because, off of it because I mean, who gets rich, rich off of OSR stuff anyway? But, I mean, and who would not? Who would not want to buy a game called Mud Sword? Yeah. I mean, seriously. You, you, <laughs> please take, please take my money. Yeah, oh Mud Sword, I'm in. You want to read what it's about? No. Biggest geek has wrote it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Dude. And once we actually have a logo that's worth putting on things because we uh-huh. don't have that yet, uh, then everybody will say, oh, that's the biggest geekest logo. Yeah. You know it, baby. We yeah. got to cre- we got to get jiggy. We got to get jiggy with this, man. Yeah. Hey, um, little little comment for Jason. If he listens to this hub. Now I've heard him play. Now I know that he plays low fantasy gaming. I believe I can, unless I'm wrong, correct me with Sean. Uh, I don't know his last name from gaming and BS and low fantasy gaming is, a, I think I have a free version of the PDF which is less rules, but I would love for Jason to call in and tell us what he thinks of that one because I think he plays that pretty consistently. And I think he's played a lot of old school games. Right. That's what it seems yeah. like. Yeah. Um, you asked a good question before off air. was like, are there other segments of gaming with a moniker other than OSR? So are there movements right. besides OSR movements, right? Or just um, – or just um, – Movement, I don't know, but a OSR is a subsection of our hobby. Yes. So I wonder if there are others that, well, ha- that are uh, that have an identifiable um, credo of some kind. Would story games count? Well, that, that's just a that's well, maybe. 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 OSR seems to be going for a particular feel and at least a nostalgic look at older rule sets. And it's Story. it's gritty. It's gritty, yeah, yeah. It's, it's got a yeah, dude. You're it's like you said, it's zero to hero. I mean, you're a punk, and life is life is uh, cheap. Levels one to three, one to five. Yeah, you could die. That's right. One hit could drop you easily. Yeah. Outside of the OSR, the kind of the thought is, is your characters are the stars of the show. Mm-hmm. But in the OSR, when you start out, you're nobody. No, your first level, you're nobody. Play. Nobody cares about you. You don't have an icon relationship like in 13th age. Right. That's not a you're thing. Not a, and um, some people would find that off-putting. I want to be the hero. Well, I get it, but you still get to be the hero, but you got to start out and earn your stripes. Right. Yeah, that's what it, it's not that you don't get to be that guy. You, you don't get to start be that out guy. that way. No. And I, I honestly, I'm drawn to that more than I am, you know, fourth edition, uh, 13th age of how you start out as totally, you know, pretty darn good and then just get crazy good. Right. And the, the thing, the other thing about 13th age, I like the game. But Me the, the ICOM relationships kind of, and I don't know if it's because of our play style and some of the people that we play with. Uh, I don't know. Um, I haven't looked at the ICOM relationship uh, verbiage in a long time. So right. I don't know. It's kind of weird that you start out with someone that could actually know the Archmage icon. It's kind of weird. Why would... Well. Why would, Yes, and even though the premise is, if you read the books, you're not really – I don't think the intention is for – oh, I was the friend of the Archmage. Though you could pick that. 
That could be your one unique thing. I went to school with the Archmage. You could right. say that. Right. But that's not what is um, necessarily implied with the relationship. No. But a lot of people seem to take it that way, at least around us. Mm-hmm. I think because when you think, when you're, when you're in your mind, you're thinking about what's my character going to be, you tend to go toward the super cool. You don't go toward the mundane. Right. You know, most people don't. And I think it's I think it's very cool when someone does that. Like, what is Brock's... He, you have a barbarian, and his one unique thing is what? Something about Brock blood. is a bloody barbarian. Yeah. Whenever yeah, he's, he's involved in any kind of conflict, uh, fisticuffs, anything like that, mm-hmm. he gets covered in gore. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. Right. You get a pushy match at a bar, and he's covered in blood. Yeah, somebody's no, somebody, uh, him mostly, uh, will get a nosebleed, or uh, maybe someone trips and uh, hits a, a, a shallow vein on somebody, but a bleeder, mm. and it just goes everywhere. But yeah, any every fight he gets involved in, he gets covered in gore. So he bathes a lot, unlike a lot of other barbarians. Yeah, true. But yeah, so uh, so we're on the same page, uh, uh, Glenn and Erica. Uh, we are intrigued by the OSR. We're probably going to be. I think I'm more into it than I was a week ago. So yeah, thanks. Yeah, cool. It was great. That was a great. Uh, it was like meeting meeting people for the first time who you've always known. Yeah, I tell you what, Glenn and just those two in particular it was so easy to talk to them. I mean, this ho- I think it's this hobby too. And let's let's be honest, we're all close in age, okay? Yeah. Um, and so we have some of the same, you know, sort of personalities or what would you call it, generational sort of things we can connect with, connectivity. And the hobby brings it together, and everybody was pretty grounded. None of us are, you know, way off the reservation on, you know, thinking we're the greatest thing since sliced bread. And I think, uh, yeah, I was like, I think Eric even said it, it was just like meeting, like meeting old friends. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it was yeah. like. <laughs> you know, it was good. Yeah, it was good. All right. So I think I saw I got to say about OSR for now anyway. Right. Until we've played some, we need to play. Yeah, some. We got we to play some for sure. All right. Um, our next little mini topic um, is a discussion, and I listed several things. We can go through as much as you want. It was um, the idea of newbie player advice. We can decide whether we want to go. Do you want to say? So I think there's some advice that you would say to a first-time player, versus versus some advice that you would play to just a young player, a guy who maybe has only played five or six, eight sessions. You know, that yeah. could use some. Yeah, there's a difference between not up. played at all and not played much. Yeah. So and one you one you listed that I, I put at the top is be careful of too much advice like we're about to give. <laughs> right. So I remember the reason. Uh, OK, so it's kind of related uh, to jumping in with both feet and not actually just jumping in. No advice. Just let them jump in. That's a yep. little farther down your list. Yeah, it's basically the same thing, though. When I first played. uh D and D in Gary's basement with you, not Gary mm-hmm. Gygax. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I went over to your house. Okay, this was before the internet, and we didn't all have phones. Oh, uh, so oh our true. cell phones. Yeah. 
So didn't all none I, of us had. So I didn't I did. know what a cell phone was. There was no such thing. Right. So <laughs> I just walked over his house, just you know, out of the blue. Hi, I'm here. And right. uh, you weren't home. You were right. at Gary's. And yep. uh, when I went over there, you guys were in the basement playing a game, and I had no idea what it was. And they used. I don't remember all the details, but I just sat down and started playing. So do you do you remember that day? I do vaguely. I, I'm, it's to me now. It's like you and Robert and Gary and Eric. I think that was our first first group. Is that the day that he said I'm going to throw my crossbow at him? Yeah, dude. Eric <laughs> joins and is like, yeah, it's like you see a bugbear. What do you do? I throw my because and he told me as he, he now we got to realize me, you, and Robert, we were in middle school and these guys were pre a couple of them were younger like we yeah. were like eighth or, eighth or ninth grade i think then and uh maybe not and they were quite a bit younger not even in middle school and <laughs> joe's like i throw a spell at him robert's like i throw a spear and gary's like i throw my dagger and eric's like well i throw my crossbow yeah that's what happened <laughs> and we all are like what what are you doing idiot <laughs> It's like, don't throw your crossbow, shoot it. Oh, okay. That was funny. I, I threw my crossbow. I don't think he know, knew what a crossbow was. Oh, he didn't. And he, and, and he was, and he said, he goes, I don't know what, it, I don't know what this crap was. And right, right, right. He was right, like, right. and everybody's throwing stuff. So I was like, I'll throw something too. <laughs> that <laughs> was hilarious. That was and that's yeah. the thing. You know, sometimes we want to give advice. And sometimes you just let people be. And then you can have memories like that. That's right. That that's are cool right. and fun and bonding. But yeah. there are probably are a few things you got to do, but probably not that you don't want to overdo it. No, no. And and I think depending on the group size, I mean, we were we were all learning together at the same time. Well, to be true, I had played more than any of you guys because I had played with my cousins three or four times. My cousin Rodney started me on it. He had a friend in his neighborhood, got him started. He brought the basic. Now, Rodney is an artist, dude. This man can draw. And uh, we would play. And if we got a magic item, he would draw it for you. I forgot that about looked, that. Dude, that looks so wicked. And my cousin JR and Ryan, I think that was the original group. And I played a few sessions. My wizard con died because I was evil and turned on everybody. And then they got me back. So anyway, you know, WWE. And I was like, well, screw that. I'm going to run the game. <laughs> and so <laughs> I, I bought, asked mom, bought myself a little, you know, original red box. or Actually, I think it was the Moldvay or one of them. One of the original basic D&D sets. And uh, I just got absorbed. And I don't know how I came up with Greenwich Ruins, but that was my first dungeon. And Excalibur was at the heart of it. And I mean, I don't know. We got we to hold Excalibur for five minutes. For yeah. <laughs> Thank you for finding it for me. I'll take it now. What? Well, <laughs> dude, it, it was a plus five Vorpal, and the rules said that's not for everybody. That's that's for only powerful characters, and you guys had only gained about nine levels after four sessions, so you weren't powerful yet. <laughs> uh, 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 uh. I was a Monty Hall, dude, but early on, it's all so, yeah, I think hey, so in a new, yeah. I don't know how many people know that reference. Mm. Monty Hall. So Good Monty point. Hall, what was the name of the show? Let's make a deal. Let's make a deal. An old game which show now, from this. Which is now hosted by who's the black guy from whose lineup? He's awesome. Great singer, good actor. Uh, he was also on the I forgot. Wet 
Wes? No. No. Something with a W. Anyway, he's really good. His name starts with a letter. That's all I that's yeah. all I know. Correct. An absolute letter starting name, yeah. Yes. Go ahead. So yeah. So, so old let's make a deal. Um was Wayne Brady. Wayne Brady. Right. Oh yeah. Not, the jokes no, about was, <laughs> you gotta get, check out Joe the Chappelle show Wayne yeah. Brady stuff. That's hilarious. Yeah, he's hardcore. He's awesome. And I was you probably heard me clacking on my computer, but just so you know, before I I said Wayne Brady before I finished typing. So I figured it I out. Didn't, from I didn't hear anything. Oh, okay, well, the, they might. They I, might. I hear myself clacking sometimes. So right, right, right. anyway, I started. I started the old Google search, but then I said, Whoopee. "But right. yeah." So um, so let's yeah, make Monty, a deal. Monty Hall. Monty yep. Hall was the name of. I don't think that was his real name, but Monty Hall. Let's make a deal. Um, you got to choose between three doors, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, pick your prize. Oh. And you win a pile of crap, and so very little effort, just being lucky, you get right. piles of great stuff. And so a Monty Hall GM is someone that just just gives tons and tons of treasure for very little effort. Right. You know, you kill an orc. Here, you get a plus three sword and a, a spell book with ten spells on it, 2,000 gold, and five gems worth 100 gold each. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and so I, I did that. Right. <laughs> and we got uh, we got presents for our characters on our birthday a couple of times. <laughs> Dude. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So, so the question, so in, in this in this modern day, um, I made a comment about observe the game first, but then I said not just critical role, and I'm not just going to poop on critical role. But the point is, you don't want to get un, unreasonable expectations of what the game will be like, and we may have a podcast about that with our friend uh, Patrick before long again. Right. But um, I think you know I think you have an advantage as a if you're a new player, you can go to YouTube. And watch people play D&D. Right. So there's a way to learn. It's just through the internet. Mm-hmm. And that's great. And and uh, the, I guess on in that uh, vein, the second point is you don't pl- plunk down a 600-page core rule book in front of them and say, read that. We're playing tomorrow. I want a book report. You know, nothing like yeah. that. Um, Here's you Hack, don't want to do anything like that. Guide. Yeah. Here's Hackmaster's player. Hackmaster, guy. yeah. <laughs> I remember saying I don't want any big, thick, expensive books anymore, and that I bought that. <laughs> but, it's, but it's so beautiful. That's it is. The problem. It is. They need an editor. Yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah. What other advice? I would say play a simple character is good. It used to be the fighter in AD and D. Yeah, I it's not that it's anymore. Good. I was remarking about that to the, my wife um, today or yesterday. Mm-hmm. The the simple character back in the day was a fighter. In fifth edition, it still might be somewhat simple, but it's not simple. You got all kinds of um, stuff in there to choose from and to consider when you're from round to round, uh, your maneuvers and your uh, not maneuvers. Is it maneuvers? Maybe I'm conv- um, confusing it, things. It depends on what you pick at third level. Yeah. But you're right. Fifth edition has more choices, more fiddly bits. Uh, third edition had a tremendous amount fourth edition did too but even though we thought they all kind of being samey for all the classes right but you got a lot of a lot of choosing to do i think first and second edition and od oh d and d good you cannot get simpler right. every class was pretty simple dude right d6 damage period good luck <laughs> <laughs> so right but um yeah i think uh on 13th age but they also spell it out their simple class is the barbarian right and it is it's simpler than the others right 
fighter is mid-level, but it used to be every time I teach a new person, I would say, just play a fighter. Right. Because what does that mean? You can wear armor, you can shoot a bow, and you can fight with big swords and shields and weapons. Oh, okay. Can I have a hammer? Sure. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very easy. Yeah. What do you think of this piece of advice I wrote? I said, be willing to play a second or third time unless you really hate it. Right. So if you play the first time, you're like, I don't know. Try to play it a couple more times to make sure because and you might want to play with a different group of people the next time. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But and yeah. some folks, you might want to play a different game. I can't. You know, this this flabbergasted me. I want to say it might have been not until I got to college that I met someone that said their first game of role playing game was not Dungeons and Dragons. And I couldn't, and I couldn't believe it. Right. I was like, "Are you kidding me?" I mean, no way. Yeah, the first game I ever played was Vampire. First game <laughs> I ever played was Shadowrun, and I'm like, "Wow, <laughs> holy crap!" Right. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't but, have the internet. Yeah, and there are people though that even today will say, "I don't like D and D, but I like Shadowrun. I don't like D and D, but I like Dungeon World." So. You know, even if you're like, you may want to, if you're playing, you're like, I like this group, they're good people, but this sword and sorcery crap is just not my thing. It doesn't mean there's not an RPG for you. I mean, there may not be, right? There may not. You definitely, you may not be an RPG player. You just may not like it. Or it may just be, I don't get the wizards and elves and stuff. I'd rather be like shooting guns and stuff. Well, then maybe you want a modern game. Maybe you want a spy game. Maybe you want an army game. Maybe you want Deadlands. Right. Where you get to shoot guns or a a real Western game like Boot Hill. Is there a game patterned after uh, that TV show Wild Wild West? The closest, I think. Okay, I'm not going to. I don't know. Because there's like everything I. The only Western games I know of, they're either variants of. Deadlands, so they're weird west with magic and zombies, or you know some kind of sorcery. Six guns and sorcery, I think, is one. And there's a uh, weird frontiers, which is coming out. Oh, by the way, did you hear that Dark Trails had to change its name? No, I don't. What's Dark? Yeah, I, I didn't hear. I, I didn't even hear about Dark Trails. You yes, you have. You played it. You and I did a play test. Did you play it? Did you not play the one where we did the funnel with the weird west, the wild, the wild west characters? I did not do that. That was the other oh, joke. Yeah. You, oh, you were cheating on me with I another was, with Joe. A, with another Joe. <laughs> Shit, Randy, you shouldn't have said that. So anyway, um, but uh, yeah, it was a, a game, and I kickstarted it. I just, through Gaming and BS, a podcast, they had talked about this guy making this game called Dark Trails. And it was a it was a weird West fantasy, Cthulhu mix. And it was like, sounds like Deadlands, but I emailed the guy, and he said, hey, you want to play test it? And I was like, sure. So he sent me some of those early drafts. And me and some of the guys sat down and did a, it's a DCC. It's, it's based off the DCC mechanics, hmm. but it's basically Deadlands with DCC. And the reason I kickstarted, one, the guy was cool. Tool, two, his writing is really good. The art is beautiful. And it adds more crap to my Deadlands game. So if I don't play, if I don't play the Weird Frontiers game, I will have a lot of extra material for Deadlands. Oh, yeah. I can never go wrong there. And so that's the two I would say that I know. And there's one called Six Guns and Sorceries. There was a D20 version of Magic in the West back in the day. Boot Hill is an old, old, pure Western game. That's yeah, different. Pure There's Western. no weirdness. And so was, who was the one that Kenter Company did? 
Kinder Company had a wasn't Cattle Punk. No. Kinder Company had a Aces and Eights. Aces and Eights, yeah. That was also a premium, beautiful book when it came out, leather bound. Um, I played that at Gen Con. Can't say that I liked it, but it's like guns. You get into a gunfight, you better get cover because guns will kill you. Yes, because that's <laughs> what they do. Yeah, my, we played and uh, I got shot in the first five minutes and I bled out and died. <laughs> so, but it was the guys were cool. It was a good time. I just thought, eh, too much. I don't know. It was just a pure Western doesn't tweak my nads, but uh, a weird West game. I'm always down for six guns and spells and zombies and vampires and Cthulhu kind of eat your brain. That's pretty cool. Right. Yeah, so um, yeah, I think everyone to try other games. Well, you don't have to. I mean, if, if just the concept of pretending to be another character just seems like kind of horrible to you, then role playing may not be for you. But I think I think don't don't get put out by by the game the first time you try it. Don't get put out by maybe even too many rules because I mean, if you have a good GM, he's not going to make you learn any of them anyway. Right. I just have a really simple character sheet and say, just tell me what you want to do, and I'll help you figure it out. Right. Yeah, I think that's a good piece of advice for the GM with new players. Yes, definitely. Um, Help them out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I would say also, this would probably be more, I say it, it probably definitely after you played a few times, but I always say speak up when you're confused. Don't just keep quiet and try to, I mean, you can watch the other players and you can learn from them and you can learn a lot by just watching the other players. But if something is not being resolved in your mind, say, hey, I don't know why we're doing this. What is the point of this? Because, you know, we love to explain stuff. Sure. <laughs> and That's part of well. geek nature. Yeah, and I'm a teacher, too, so I'm, I, I definitely love it probably more than the average geek. Yeah. Yeah, and I think uh, using pregens is a good idea. Mm-hmm. New new players definitely. I, I heard somewhere I, I think it's a good idea too. I think I think if you're trying a new game out, the whole group is trying something new. I think using pregens and playing a mini campaign or adventure is a good idea. Yeah, just to, and just play it out. Don't make your own. Just jump in and start playing and see how see if it strikes you as you know as good. Anything else you would say for new players? I don't I don't think so. I think. Um... It's been so long since I was a new player, but I do remember just diving in and nobody sitting there and saying, Adam boy, it was you being the DM and trying to kill everybody. So, yeah, but, but you were, you everybody. were, you were in your money hall phase then. So it was probably good to have entered at that point. Yeah, it probably was because now you get nothing unlike it. But your cousin Jason entered into your, into the gaming when you were in your stingy GM yeah, it'd be interesting to hear Jason's view of his first experiences. Well, he he, he hung on. He's a grown man, taught his children how to play, so right. he's uh, he hung on. So I didn't scar him too bad. Not too bad. Yeah, but uh, do you think it's a good idea uh, for new players to do like uh, just a very? Do you think you should do a really short session when you have a new player, or should you just do it whatever you're going to do and see if they can stick it out the first time? Like, suppose your average session is six hours, and you bring a newbie in, not just a new player from another I probably should keep it short. Yeah, probably should, because you don't want to wear them out. Right. Mm -hmm. Maybe even just have it, have enough, have, you might have a whole six hours ready. Right. And then 
just have a break prepared after the first hour, let's say, and say, how yeah. are you doing? You want to keep going? And then you can. Yeah, you can if you right. if they do. And you can tell. I mean, I've, I've introduced, I don't know, I don't want to say countless, but dozens, if not dozens players, let's say. I've, I've introduced dozens of newbies to the hobby. I have. And you can tell pretty quickly if they're into it or not. Right. I mean, you were. Didn't take you, I mean, dude. You were in it. Yeah. I mean, like ten minutes, you're like, dude, I'm down with this. Right. Talking about wizards and what kind of spells you can cast, and you wanted to read the book. Unlike the other players, they didn't give a crap about the book. They wanted to look <laughs> at it. And I was like, finally, somebody wants to actually know how the game works. <laughs> read. Don't read that part. Read. Don't read that though, Joe. That's a monster. You can't read monsters. Right. You're not me. <laughs> yeah. I still yeah, I mean, hesitate to read monster books. Well, and that's okay. Is it because I scarred you? I think it's I think it's good because as a as a player, if you're not running much, dude, you're kind of ruining it for yourself. You are. You are. Yeah. Which is one reason why I kind of like I like um, the Hackmaster format for their monster books because oh really? Well, the crunchy parts are small. Very small oh, amount really? of crunchy. Rest of you know the, all the flavor text and uh, interesting bits that uh, immerse you in their their game world. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of that, but the right. stats are very. It's a very small bit, which is good. You don't need to have a giant stat block for monsters. It's bad. It's actually counterproductive, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. I, I think it really is. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I think that's just some good piece of advice to do, and and I think our advice bounced a little bit, not just for new players, but for new GMs too. I think it's it's got to work hand in hand for a good experience. The GM's got to be understand who they have at the table. Right. Yeah. Well, what about CabinCon? We got no noobs at CabinCon, brother. So none of the new people ended up wanting to come because there was nope. talk of new people. Well, yeah, apparently, uh, no. <laughs> okay. Uh, one person last year was supposed to come, him and his and the other guy, uh, bailed out last year, uh, though the, the regular is back. We have a couple guys back from a hiatus, and so we're at 18. 18. 18 dudes, which is a sweet number. That means three GMs, five players each. Dig that. That's the devil's numbers. I think it's perfection incarnate. Six, six, six. It's a bad <laughs> omen. That's right. It's probably going to be awesome, though, because it's D&D. You know, D&D's of the devil, so it's kind of like a blessing. Yeah, right? it kind of goes together. Yeah. So um, I'm thinking that it's going to be a good one, dude. 18 is kind of not as light as last year. It's going to be a little on the large size. We were talking that 11 last year was pretty sweet. But right? 18 means three solid games. Right. And that's really cool. Yeah. And so, there's no reason you can't, you know, me, me and you and Phil can't just sneak away and piss everybody off and just play for a whole day. Again. <laughs> again. But, hey, a question for you. Um, so, I'm, so Josh is going to go, and he said he's gonna, we're going to run the Supers game. So I'm going to run my first issue. He was able to get the time because it was uh, yeah. up in the air. Yeah. Apparently it's, he's good to go. Good deal. So he, we're going to run the Supers. I, didn't, I wasn't planning on that. And that's going to be Savage Worlds. And then I'm going to run my uh, West Marches game, Sanctuary uh, Fantasy. And I wanted to run two of those. But then I've got the OD&D game, which is going to be easy. That's going to be like super easy prep because I'm just going to have a dungeon. I mean, that's what it's going to be, it's a dungeon. 
and um, which means I probably can't let you be too high level because I want you to be able to have to navigate the dungeon. Maybe I'll do like seventh level or eighth level, maybe ninth. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe give you a teleport so you can escape when things get crappy. Right. Uh, and then uh, I was planning on aliens, but you know my rule is what is that? That's one. That's four different games, though two, though the fantasy and the supers are definitely the same system. That's only three systems, but I'm I'm considering not running aliens. How does that sound to you? Not good. Not good. You got to run I've been it all. Talking about, We're going to have to change well, to the table. I think I have to because I've been talking about it. I've got to come back with something. Dude, with you could run all of those first day and then play the rest of the con. I could. Easy. I don't want to. I'm thinking. I'm thinking this year. I'm. I'm right now. I think I may. Someone's gonna have to hornswoggle me to get me to play. Probably. I'm oh, probably okay. gonna run like. I think. I mean, not that I won't do it, but I think I'm gonna run like a demon. Oh. Um, I'm motivated. I'm motivated. Sounds good. Sounds good. I might, so I need, might need to pray about that. Yeah, that's probably not the best. Yeah, because that could mean like I might have to like get juiced up by sacrificing people on altars. So no, I'm not going to run like a demon. I think I'll run like an angel with grace. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, angels don't get grace, so. No, no, not technically. Fascinating. So yeah, I'm I'm pretty pumped. How about you? Have you kind of? I'm, so I'm I'm pretty set on what I'm running. What about you? I'm going to run Hackmaster if anybody wants to play. Oh, I'll play. I don't have time. I'll be running. Yeah. So <laughs> shut up. Um, <laughs> and I'm going to try to run some old school stuff. We'll see. Good. I don't have anything. I don't have any hard plans about that specifics, Dude. but uh, we'll see. Yeah. You still have your Warhammer books. Yes. <laughs> That's probably too much to go back and remember. So you ought to run some Warhammer. I have. I don't have the original Warhammer book that I had back when I was what, what must have been fifteen or whatever it was. Right. I have a soft, uh, soft cover version of it. Gotcha. Uh, and I don't even think it was those original rules. I have the second edition somewhere. But. Uh, um. I wonder what edition it is in now. I haven't kept up with that. I'm sure it's probably four. Four? Four. Yeah, that's yep. the number I was thinking. I also yeah. have Champions. Ooh, I've never played that. I have Champions. Clint Halstrom's a veteran talk, of Champions. Yeah, he talks about that a lot. Um, I have Ars Magica, Shadowrun. Uh, I have a bunch of... Uh, um, cipher system stuff. I'm probably going to try to sell that. New, uh, yeah, probably. I don't even see a point. I don't. The only one I want to keep is Numenera, because to be honest with you, I think I could run a pretty foot game of that. It wouldn't be terribly long campaign, but it could be fun. Right. As far yeah. as old stuff, I even have an X crawl book. Oh, yeah. So X crawl yeah. just had so much potential. I don't know, but yeah, okay. So you're, you're you're so it's funny because Tim's Tim's been commenting on the on the CabinCon site how much uh, uh, old schools will be running. I know Mike is going to be running some basic D and D, okay, Redbox I think, and I'm going to run Super O D and D seventy four. Though it's looking like it's probably going to be Swords and Wizardry, and uh, heck maybe I'll uh, I don't know, we'll see maybe I'll grab a Tinkar's uh, Light or Continual Light and give that a whirl. Cool. We'll see. 
It's going to um, be an OSR cabin con, looks like. At least yeah, partially. dude. It does, man. I think we're going to have some sweet old school action. I think uh, Philip probably runs some 5e. John will probably run some 5e. Uh, we'll have a little bit of everything, I believe. We usually yeah. do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I even have some Palladium so, up here. Really? Is that first or second edition Palladium Fantasy? Well, I have. I just have kind of a random assortment of Palladium books. Oh, is it maybe Riff stuff? A little bit of Riffs, a little bit of this and that. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well... I think for the last segment we kind of already talked about, I was like, um, for building a better gaming world. Is that okay that I scoot on out of cabin? Yeah, 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 yeah. So building a better gaming world, we, uh, I said, we playing at OSR or what? If we just drop Banson all together, could you get with an OSR type revival? I think we've already answered that, dude. That sounds like where we're heading. Yeah, it does. Yeah, we'll, we'll see though. You know, after Cabin Con, maybe we'll go like, you know, we'll see some of the warts and bugs. Maybe of this sort of like, this is kind of dumb. But it, like you said, maybe it'll just be get a system. Play this, get one of the systems that are lower level, you know, like, like cap out at 10 and say, you know what? If we want to play higher, let's just create all the rules beyond that. Yeah. I think that's probably the way we're going to do it. Yeah. How that's hard cool. can it be? Probably impossibly hard, but we're going to act like it's easy. Right. I was listening to yeah. a, um, I was listening to a podcast today and they said on it, they were comparing, um, making, uh, a game based on mm-hmm. the old rules back in the seventies right. was harder than making a movie. What? And How? I don't know. I that doesn't know. sound possible. No. I don't know. I'd have to see the, the line of reasoning there. Cause I'm just off the top of my head. Movies sound like a lot of work. Movies are a lot of work. I'm sure Glenn being an actor would probably agree. Yeah, I'm sure he would. Oh, well. All right. Well, I think it's about time to wrap this puppy up. So um, unless you got something else you want to add. No, no, I'm good. All right. If you'd like to support our show, please check out our website, www.biggestgeekestpodcast.com slash support. If you want to contribute, we'd appreciate it. Uh, We thank you either way. Make sure if uh, you would share our podcast with your friends. That's really the thing we're most looking forward to rather than just cash. Um, It's available most places you can get your podcast app. If you have any questions uh that shout out to jason hobbs i was asking you asking him a little question there during the podcast uh you can email us at questions at biggestgeekestpodcast.com or even on anchor you can leave us a little voicemail with any kind of comments or anything you'd like to you know say about what we talked about today um i added a little bit to our uh favorite podcast we've been talking more and more about them so we still got some we would encourage you to uh, listen to uh, Red Dice Diaries with John Allen and his wife Hannah, Radio Grognard by the one and only Glenn Halstrom, The Tale of the Manicore, unique dramatization, not quite a quasi-actual play, which, by the way, I don't give his name because I don't know his name. Do you? I forgot. I don't know if you ever said it. It'd be interesting to try to look it up. And then, of course, a new one is Tavern Chat. We've, I've listened to it for a long time with Eric Tinkar. He's got... A good daily podcast you definitely should check out. Eric's a pretty good dude. So New for our I mean, list. Yeah, for our list, but not for me. I've been listening for a while. Yeah, so yeah. Anyway, this is Randy. And this is Joe. Remember, you can't be big like us, then be geeks like us. <laughs>